0: Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia called Calvary 316. If you have a church that you attend and you're local and they teach the Bible, then just don't listen to what I'm about to say. If you don't have a church that teaches the Bible, may I come visit us? Our church website? It's calvary316.tv. Uh, if you if you don't have a church family or you're going to someplace and it's lame because they don't teach the Bible, come check us out. You can learn all about it on the website. Once again, the website's calvary316.tv. I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour or so. The Outlaw Radio Show, I've mentioned this before, um, but but we do a lot of different things with our show, all intending to accomplish kind of the same idea, and that is to deconstruct the negative perceptions that the world has of Christians by just having real, honest, relevant conversations. And sometimes that includes basically a one man monologue, but from time to time, we kind of interrupt that to do interviews. Now, before I introduce our guest, I want to give you a little backstory of how I got to know Seth. So a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go and speak at a pastor's conference in the Midwest. And, um, really connected with those folks southerners midwesterners man we've got a lot in common it was just a sweet time of fellowship so i had the first session i was teaching and there was this guy that was leading worship just just a one-man band he had acoustic guitar was doing these songs he was playing the cajon a box with his feet uh, later on, he's playing with another band with an accordion. I was blown away. Just a fantastic worship leader. And so I struck up a conversation and found out that he's also a pastor. We're about the same age, uh, same place in life. He's got a, a beautiful wife and, and a little one himself. And he's pastoring a church. Check this out. And what's known as the UP. I kind of had to Google it. It is that that part of Michigan that Michigan didn't want, but like no one else wanted, and Canada rejected it. It's like... That little offshoot. And so Seth is kind of an outdoorsman, but he's also a musician. Just this really interesting, cool dude. I've had some time to hang out with him uh, beyond that conference. And just uh, once I heard his story, I thought, man, uh, the audience needs to hear this. And so with all that being said, I'd like to welcome Seth Waters to the show. Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, brother. Thanks a lot, Zach. Appreciate it, man. What's the weather like right now? We're getting a blizzard. Um, in between
1: tonight and tomorrow, we're probably going to see 12 inches of snow.
0: Okay, describe the part of, of America that you live in, just for the, the audience' sake.
1: Um, I laughed when you said that you had Southerners and Midwesterners at the pastors' conference down there. Um, we actually, to get to Indianapolis, we have to drive nine and a half hours south uh, from where we are. We're up, I'm about 45 minutes south of Lake Superior. On the border of the UP, you mentioned that, and northern Wisconsin. So, yeah, man, we're up here in the in the north. Describe Iron River, this this little town that you pastor this church. So the whole UP used to uh, be sustained economically in the mining um, back in the day, and uh, it was tons and tons of communities that came together and revolved around the mines. Lots of Finnish culture, lots of real tradition up here as far as the culture goes. And what happened is the mines closed down years ago and it devastated the economy. So you've got a really interesting dynamic. You've got, in Iron County where I live, we've got like 300 lakes and 3,200 miles of river. And uh, we've got so much outdoors. 75% of my county is state land. So it's public forestry. And so you've got a lot of summer homes, a lot of vacation homes. Um, but most of the people that are here all year round are either retired or they are uh, economically hurting. And this is just kind of where they've landed.
0: And so you live in downtown Iron River. And can you tell the audience, and, and you know, the audience knows obviously you pastor Calvary Chapel, Iron River, um, but, but you also work another job and uh, you, you own and operate a recording studio. What's the name of your studio? Interpose Productions. How long have you been doing that? Nine years? Yeah. Nine nine years. Nine years. Now, you're not originally from Iron River, are you? No. No, I grew up in central Wisconsin. Central Wisconsin. And your dad was a pastor, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, Calvary Chapel pastor. Calvary Chapel pastor. Well, with that kind of segue, uh, can you tell us a bit about your childhood and just kind of set the stage uh, for this this larger point that we'll be making that I think your story perfectly illustrates. Can you give us a little background about how you grew up, your your, your family, being a pastor's kid? Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to just kind of riff there.
1: Yeah, very cool, man. Um, grew up, uh, I was born in 84, and I grew up in a small, small town. The population of the town that I lived in was about 900 people. It was known for uh, a famous serial killer back in the day, Ed Gein. And so the connotation right off the bat, it's kind of a uh, very small town with a lot of uh, dark history there. Uh, my dad was a pastor. We lived out in the middle of a bunch of cornfields and a small church. But uh, I was the oldest of four siblings. I've got three little sisters. And my parents were awesome, man. Uh, my dad loved the Lord. My dad, before he got saved, was a touring musician. And so music was just part of our family. I grew up saturated with that. And so, yeah, small town. Uh, with a dad that was uh, a really good musician, but pastoring a church and moved to a small community as well. When I think of where I'm at today, it's it's really funny how we are our parents in the end of the day. <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, man, so I grew up surrounded with uh, awesome people, an exciting home. We were always doing ministry. My dad was still playing, uh, even in Christian bands when I was young, always had different uh, groups coming through. They actually held a Christian music festival. This is pretty cool, man. We had a, a Christian music festival in our backyard. Um, it ran for 25 <laughs> years.
0: In your backyard? And really?
1: We had, my parents had 20 acres of land. And so what they would do is the last weekend in June, every year, there were in between two and 3,000 people that would come and camp on our 20 acres of property. To the point that we had a permanent stage built, a permanent sound stage. All of this happened in my backyard. So one weekend a year, there were thousands of people camping in my woods. And as a kid, you like lived for that weekend, man. It was awesome. All your friends showed up, and it was just a party for three days. I don't even think my parents knew where I was. I was just like a like a lost boy running around in the woods, you know, like with water balloons and squirt guns for a weekend, just That's dirty funny. as heck. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Um, but so I, I really knew what it was like to be in a church family that was thriving. And I'm so thankful for that. What happened though is in a small town and that weekend was awesome, but it wouldn't sustain me and my hyperactive mind all the time. And so when you grow up, I reached out to other things and as a musician, uh, a son of a musician, it was very easy for me to just pick up any random instruments that were laying around the house. When you live out in the middle of cornfields, that was probably the most exciting thing to do. Uh, It might have been might
0: have been the only thing to do,
1: right? Yeah, it, it very was. It very much was in a lot of cases. A lot of people ask me. You mentioned the whole, oh yeah, I played acoustic guitar, cajon, accordion, you know, and I've got this pile of instruments in the studio that I play. People are like, how did you get to play all those? Learn to play all those different instruments, and I just kind of haphazardly let them know that I got grounded a lot as a kid. And and it's called
0: winter and there's yeah, nothing to do right
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah dude but i got grounded i got grounded a lot so when i'd you know i'd go to my room and there was just instruments all over so i just would play music man that's what i did my parents never took that away from me i really appreciate that
2: <laughs> so but
0: we were talking about this um before the show y- your childhood was up and down i mean great family but you were kind of a wildling right yeah man
1: so as a musician in a small town as And a kid that was excelled in music, uh, I really struggled academically in all my other classes. I had two classes that I knew that I could sustain an a in, and it was it was gym class and band. <laughs> so uh, all the other classes, man, academically, I really struggled because I just I was so active in my mind and I didn't have the attention span to just get all my homework turned in and study and all these things. But music, dude, I could just lock in. I could just get lost for hours. Um, trying to figure out a time signature or trying to read something. And so what happened was is uh, in, in middle school, I ended up in an accelerated band class. And so a lot of my peers became people that were older than me uh, in school. So like here I am uh, playing in bands with like high schoolers, you know, and being, being around people that are older than me. And as, you know, a fifth, sixth grader, you start getting opened up to a lot more things that I wasn't ready for. So, you know, just the party life and drugs and different things um were really starting to pull at me. When
0: was, and in a, when was the first time that you you dabbled in drugs?
1: Oh, man. Um 5th, 6th grade. Wow. Yeah. Um and it, it was just because it was there with the people that I was around. Uh suspended 5th grade, you know, drug-related incident. Uh again then expelled. In ninth grade, um, you know, passing out drugs on a field trip isn't uh, following the rules, so they don't like that. Uh, but it was always it was always revolved around people I was hanging out with, and what was interesting in the dynamic that it ended up, the pattern that it ended up setting in my life was, I'd come home to a Christian family. I mean i I can't rid my memory of the times that. I'd get suspended or have detention. or I remember, dude, the ride home when I got expelled from school, the police were called on this drug bust that I was involved in. And seeing the look on my dad's face, knowing that as the pastor of this church in his community, that his son is now being expelled from the school for for drug use. Uh, And so as a pastor, you and I both know like how that would reflect on us and our families. And as we're in a place trying to do ministry, what that would mean to us. I had no clue then, but I remember, man, I'll never get that image out of my head. It's just the disappointment and the frustration, man, of my father pouring his life out in a small community uh, and his oldest son is just blowing it big time you in know, front I feel, of everybody.
0: I feel compelled to kind of make it an applicational point for anyone that's listening to this story. And specifically, if you're a parent of... Of, of a child that is kind of out of control and doing their own thing, um, that doesn't mean that you are a bad parent. Like I think Seth would tell you that his parents, so he had a godly home with godly parents that had structure and boundaries, and yet um, he's making these free will decisions to do the wrong things. And, and so often I think we're so quick to judge parents based on the behavior of their children when the two don't always now no no doubt there's there's times where it's a lapse of parenting but the two don't always correlate and then i'll also would like to say that don't always judge your pastor by his kids Um, amen because sometimes um, and as a pastor's kid myself um, we do stupid things completely contrary to our parents and let me just say this you, the audience, whoever you are, you've done really terrible things um, and, and it's not fair to then judge your heavenly Father <laughs> based upon those things or to think, man he's a really terrible heavenly Father because you're a moron. Like the two don't always connect and, and maybe if you're just listening and, and you're going to a church and, and that and your pastor is struggling with, with, with his kids, maybe a little grace. And the time, instead of just over judgment. Now, I know that was a bit of a tangent. Sorry to divert. No, man, but but I would even I would even back that up. I would even back that up and
1: say this: that as a parent or as a child, I watched my dad. In hindsight, dude, I watched my dad try everything there were times that I would do something just ridiculously stupid and I, I thought, man, I'm going to get home and my dad's going to hand it to me. Right. And, and he would just show me uh, like a crazy amount of grace because he was just trying to find something that worked. And there were other times, man, that he had me pinned up against the wall yelling in my face. Cause he was so, I just pushed him to that, that, that brink. And, and I watched him try everything, dude. He was trying, he, he did not, <laughs> he tried everything that was out there, man. It was wild.
0: So um, we're running up against a break, so we got about a minute left, but just kind of set the stage for really when things started to take a nosedive.
1: Yeah, so uh, those friendships with older kids led to me being expelled from uh, school. I got involved with a couple other people um, that uh, my dad eventually asked me to leave the home at a really young age. I was was 15 years old. He kicked me out, and um, some of the guys that I was hanging out with actually – some of them are actually still locked up, man. They're in prison for murder over a drug deal. Um, I dodged that uh, encounter literally by like days of being with them. And so that it led me down a road and I he ended up asking me to leave. I went and stayed with another pastor for a while, another Calvary pastor, and helped get some things in order for me. Um, and set me up for where I went out in Southern California, ended up on my way out to Bible
0: college. I think, I think that's a great place for us to just pause, you know, the segue from life in, in rural Wisconsin and, and now, uh, you know, transitioning to life, not just in a big city But I mean, you're kind of in the biggest of cities in the sense of moving to Southern California and all of the vices and all of the temptations and all of the things. I'm sure uh, that the story takes a a, a weird twist. Uh, So if you're listening, don't go anywhere. Uh, Stay here. The Outlaw Radio Show will be right back with Seth
2: Waters. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at blueletterbible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org.
0: Welcome back to the outlaw radio show. I am joined with a dear friend of mine, Seth Waters and he's kind of recounting his life and his story, born and raised uh, rural Wisconsin, pastor's kid, loving family, good folk, good kin, ministry, but just had this uh, this wayward streak this 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 threat of rebellion in his own heart. And so Seth, if you could kind of take it take it from there you've you've left Wisconsin at a kind of a young age, been forced forced out. And and now you find yourself in Southern California,
1: yeah, man. So you grow up in a town, Plainfield, Wisconsin, eight hundred and some people, and you show up um, in Southern California. It's pretty wild. At uh, seventeen years old, uh, it was a lot to to take in. But my personality, up until that point in my development, like I just wanted, I just wanted to do it. I wanted to get out. I loved being around people. I loved new things. My personality was, I lived off adrenaline rush and just doing crazy things. So I went out there with the right intentions. Um, had enrolled in a Bible college, and Calvary Chapel Bible College, and made a lot of good friends out there right away. Things went well. Um, but again, there was this issue in my heart, man, where like, I loved the good things about the Lord, but I wasn't ready to surrender anything of myself. And so what that meant was that I loved the parts of Bible college that I loved and the parts that I didn't love were the times when like I skipped class and would go surfing, or um, would just bounce and you know r- dabble in recreational drug use on the side through that season of life, so uh, which going, makes you're yeah, going to which Bible makes no sense and, right? Yeah. And
0: taking drugs, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. like no, not, no. not 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 like twenty four seven, and not that that you know makes it any better, but it was it wasn't it wasn't like a full blown addiction or anything at this point. Um, it wound up there, but at that point I was. You know, I don't know, and that just really showed where my heart was at. So, went through a semester. Um, it was cool. I was I had a lot of friends. I still do from that season. In hindsight, man, as a pastor now, I wish that like I could go back and just take advantage of that time that I had, being saturated in the Word and and being trained by a lot of really smart people. Um, and and yet, what happened was is I uh, wound up doing an internship during what would have been my third semester up in Monterey Bay. Um, wild twists and turns. Moved up and down the West Coast quite a bit. Wound up uh, in Oceanside for a while, living there, uh, in and out of being at Bible College, doing a semester here and there. Uh, but something kind of wild happened, dude. I went to when I was doing this internship up in Monterey Bay. Uh, my dad was getting ready to go in for an open heart surgery, and when it came time for me to fly home for Christmas. I didn't have the money and just irresponsible living. And what happened was the church there, I wasn't gonna go home for Christmas. It was just gonna be, I was gonna spend Christmas out in, in Monterey. And the, the Calvary Chapel there that uh, was that had me as an intern, as a Christmas present, they sent me home for Christmas. That's and awesome. I'm really, That's yeah, awesome. dude, It was it was super cool. I was really glad they did because what happened is I got to go home and I spent probably four or five days with my dad before he went in for open heart surgery. And uh, the day that he went in for open heart surgery, he died on the table. Uh, And so, wow. Yeah. I mean, this was a valve replacement at the time. um, Marshfield Cardiology was like in the top five of cardiology clinics in the world. And the doctor that was working on him was in like the top 10 of like the best cardiologists alive on the planet at the time.
0: So, this was just a freak thing.
1: Yeah, valve replacements, man. You, I mean, if you look now, the the percentage of dying during a valve replacement is crazy. Like, you know, he was forty eight years old, man. Um, I was so,
0: twenty, and you. So you're twenty years old, yeah. and your dad's forty eight. He goes in yep. for. I mean, yeah. The the old joke is, you know, minor surgery is surgery on someone else. But I mean, to be honest, it, it's not it's not anything that that you are really worried about. No, and man. What happened? Like, like when did you find? When, when was that moment? you found out that you heard the news.
1: So I was at the hospital. It's really funny. Last story about my dad. So, like, this is the last memory that I've got of my father, and I just got to share it because it's it's precious to me. So I'm going to spend the night at my buddy's house because my dad's getting up super early in the morning, and I'm home, wanted to visit a friend, spend the night at my buddy's house. But on my way out the door, my mom's like, Seth, now you got to be at the hospital, you know, and being the responsible mother, right? And my dad and I are watching the Packer game because we're from Wisconsin. We watch the Green Bay Packers. And, uh... And, and he, I look at him and she's like, you got to be there by like, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. And I looked at my dad and you know, hospitals, you know, it's like, they're like airports. So you eight o'clock, well, you know, I could probably show up at like nine 30, right? 10 o'clock. And my dad is like, yeah, that's fine. And we kind of snickered about that. And, and he, my buddy, John pulls in to pick me up. I'm leaving the house and my dad is getting the door for me. And as I'm walking out the door, I look at him and I go, Hey, if this whole surgery thing doesn't play out, I get your guitar, right? Oh, got, my. Yeah. I mean, his, the, he had this guitar, custom-made, handmade, you know, by a luthier friend of his or whatever. And he just looks at me, and with the, with, a, with a laugh, he just goes, where well, I'm going, I won't need it. And that was it. That was the last time that I spoke to my dad. And so that next morning, we're in the waiting room, waiting to see my father, and one of the uh, surgeons comes down, and he just pulls us aside, my mom and I, and he says, hey, um, we've run into some complications and you know the classic thing that they tell you is you know you hope for the best but expect the worst. And even in that moment we're like yeah okay whatever dad's not going to die. Like you just never we're in that we're just full blown deny like okay yeah this is going all going to work out. And we were nowhere near anywhere near like you're this just could not, even be a risk. Wasn't even in the realm of possibility. It. Not even right. expecting it. So so like 6 hours later they went in and operated on him for 6 hours. Um, on this what happened was is he had another artery up above his heart that had burst after they had um, wired him back shut after the surgery the surgery went well but after they pulled him off a of life support this artery burst and it took him seven minutes to get all those wires open again to get back in there and get him on life support and he had gone that long without oxygen and they came down and they told us this is what happened um, If we can, if we can get him back Chances are, he's probably going to be brain dead because he went that long without oxygen. And I'm a 20 year old kid, like being told this now. All of a sudden, boom! Like my whole life is upside down. And you're I either there ha- with your mother. I mean, you're yep. there. With I'm either going to have. I knew that from that moment on. I was either going to go home and my dad was going to die, or I was going to go home and I was going to have a father that was brain dead. The father that like taught me everything I knew about music. The father that instilled everything I know about the Lord in me. My father, right?
0: I mean, everything just gone. So what did that and do? I mean, as you as I, you leave the hospital and you go back to California, I mean, I mean, where you're, where are you at in that juncture?
1: Uh, my my covering was gone, man. My dad was always the guy there to like bail me out, and he loved me, you know. So I had to grow up real quick, and there were a couple, there were some positive and negative things about that. Basically, what ended up happening is um, I pursued music more than I could pursued my relationship with the Lord. I was more confident in that, and so I made a living. Um, I ended up moving to Chicago, living downtown Chicago for a while with a couple bands and just pursuing music, Um, but then my life went full-blown. That covering wasn't there anymore. I was on my own. I just went straight into drug abuse, man. like Any drug I could get my hands on, strung out, whacked out of my mind um, just on the streets of Chicago, rolling around the Midwest, playing gigs and just not even caring about life anymore. Totally walked away from the Lord. I remember a a night in a hotel room on hallucinogens basically saying, Lord, I know that you've, you've said be hot or cold or whatever. And, and, and whatever that means is cool. But like, I literally want you out of my life. Like I prayed to God to leave my life. And, uh, it was just, that's just where I was. I didn't want to live with the conviction anymore. I just wanted to do my thing. And so what cha- me-
0: What what changed as this progresses? Because you're so, you're in this hardened place. Your father has passed away. You've rejected everything you've believed in, and you've known. Even knowing it's still true, you're still rejecting it actively. Where's yeah. the change? So check this out. Um,
1: because music was such a, a fabric of who I was. Um, I wound up so strung out on crack that I couldn't, uh, and cocaine that I couldn't. I remember one day I was sitting around a room with a bunch of guys and we were just doing tons of cocaine and I, there was a guitar leaning up against the wall and I was the kind of guy that could walk into a room and pick up a guitar. I I was an entertainer, man. Like I could grab a guitar, start playing some songs. I could look at you and, you know, try to make some judgment call about what kind of music you liked and then play a bunch of songs. And Oh, cool. Yeah, dude. And I went and I grabbed this guitar and I couldn't even, I couldn't even play chords, dude. I had no rhythm. My hands were just locked up and I... I kind of brushed it off like, oh, you know, the guitar is kind of out of tune or whatever. I just kind of brushed it off and hoped that nobody noticed that this guy that had sustained his life as a musician up until this point had no talent left in him at all because of the toll that the drugs had taken on my life. So I went, uh, I literally like went back to my mom's house, dude, Central Wisconsin and tried to get clean on my own. And the job that I wound up getting there, all the guys were fans of these bands that I'd played in and were all Coke dealers. And so they were just loading me up, man. And after overdose, after time after time, I got to the point that I was just going to take my life. And in the moment that I was going to take my life, I gave the Lord one more chance and I prayed and I opened my Bible and I uh, opened to a section of scripture that kind of blew my mind. Um, I don't know. If you want to grab a break here and get to it when I come back, when we come back, but uh,
0: no, we've got, we've got about a minute, a minute left and, uh, and we, we've talked about this. So just, just kind of elaborate about what the Lord did in that moment.
1: Yeah, man. So I opened up to the book of lamentations, which is pretty crazy. Um, Not a lot of about... people
0: read reading
1: Lamentations No dude, yeah. when I opened my Bible This is what I was thinking I don't want to read John 3, 16 I don't want to read Romans 8, I don't want to go to some scripture That I'm just going to make myself feel good with Because that's what I had done my whole life When I wanted to get right with God I just went back and looked at what I was familiar with And kind of tried to encourage myself In the Lord, you know right And I opened up and I looked in the table of contents And I tried to find something that I'd never read before And I saw this book called Lamentations and all my life growing up as a kid, I'd never read it in the church, never read it in Bible college, never read it in internships, never read it. And so I read it and I realized
0: that when you are in full blown rebellion against God, he'll let you suffer the cost, man. That's absolutely true. And listen, we're going to pick up right there when we come back. So
3: don't go anywhere. You're listening to the outlaw radio show with Zach Adams. Hey everybody, this is Josh. You know, I want to reiterate something that Zach and Seth said. I came from the same background. Many of you heard my testimony here on the Outlaw Radio Show. My parents were great people. I lived in a great home and I made, just like Seth did, a ton of bad choices on my own. So if you're a parent listening, don't be discouraged. It's probably not your fault. Stay with us. Pastor Zach will be with Seth Waters for part two of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Here's Zach Adams with part two of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Today he's talking with Seth Waters. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Iron Mountain.
0: Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I want to get right out of the way. The scene is set. Uh, Seth, his life is falling apart. He's struggling. His dad, he's full-blown drugs. He's having a hard time even playing music that he loves. And he's sitting there about ready to take his own life, and he decides he's going to give God one more chance, and he turns, of all places, uh, to the book of Lamentations. And before, Seth, you you explain what the Lord then does through that, for the audience, in case you don't know what the book of Lamentations is about, can you just kind of set the the stage with with a little explanation about the book of Lamentations?
1: Yeah, so it's a horrible book. If you read it, like the first number of chapters, you're just like, what in the world is going on? (laughs) It
0: totally is. That's Um, funny.
1: Like, so the nation of Israel has been pursuing God, but they've really just been kind of treating him like a good luck charm. And they want to pursue a relationship with him because they want the good things that he's got to offer. But when it comes to like any kind of responsibility for your own actions, they don't want to have to do it. They just want to do whatever they want and then have to the get out of jail free card. And that's the way that I had lived my life. So it was really interesting when I flip open to this book. And just a couple notes on the book of Lamentations. There's some verses in there that are really questionable. One of them says that as an ostrich devours their young in the wilderness, so it was with the nation of Israel. (laughs) Um, There are Bible scholars, and I don't know if this has been proven or not, but there's guys that actually uh, debate whether or not that speaks of the children of Israel practicing cannibalism to survive because they were so destitute in their captivity to the Babylonians at that time.
0: And this is Jeremiah for for context. This is Jeremiah writing uh, during the fall of Judah and Jerusalem from Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. He's seeing the destruction of, of of the temple and, and the, the people being taken into exile and Lamentations, he's literally weeping and he's writing this. Uh, and so he's describing a lot of these things. But in particular, what was it about, about all of that that resonated, especially in that moment?
1: Yeah, you want to talk about like the temple being ripped apart and all the different things happened to My temple was being torn apart, dude. The crack cocaine and all the hallucinogens that i had been taken, I was scrambled eggs and I was sucked up, man. And I just was whacked out of my mind and so um when I when I'm reading this book I immediately understood that the path that my life was going to take if I took my life was I was I was not <laughs> I was not going to be ushered into heaven bro like I knew if I take my life like I'm done this is it I'm going straight to hell because I have no relationship with God that merits anything and it's not on works you know we talk about that a lot but I'm telling you right now dude I had no surrender to the lord and I realized it And so all of a sudden now, this idea of taking my life was scary. It wasn't just a way out anymore because I knew what what it meant. I knew what was going to happen. And so I prayed, dude, and I was like, Lord, I would love to give my life back to you, but I don't feel like I can because I've already tried this over and over and over again. And every time I commit my life to you, I wind up in the same place and it's worse. I, you know, first it was, oh yeah, I slipped away a little bit and dabbled in drugs time after time after time of that now i'm in full blown addiction and i don't even want to i don't want to keep the cycle going like i just don't i don't want to perpetuate this cycle and and believe it or not man I, I couldn't tell you how but god literally like spoke to me in that moment and it, it was wild he just i heard i heard this voice that just went seth you want to know what your problem is <laughs> and i'm like what and it, it, sure tell me god is this you like tell tell me it's what a my problem is dangerous
0: question right <laughs> And,
1: well, I wanted to know. I mean, at that point, dude, when you're taking your life, you're just, you you want whatever you can get. And and the Lord said, I'll tell you what your problem is. Your problem is that every time you've surrendered your life to me, you only go so far, and then you set the bar, and you don't go any further, and then you end up taking your life back into your own hands. And when he said that, I had a flashback, bro, of every single situation from wow. the time I was a kid in wow. youth group through Bible college and all my times in my life that I had taken my life back into my hands through a various situation I saw them all clear as day in a split second and I and I, and I responded and I said all right Lord like you're right God I agree with you but what do I do like I, I don't know how to do this I can't do this and he's like right you can't and he goes you need to allow me to do it and he told me something he said if you surrender your life to me right now and you don't set the bar, and you don't take your life back into your own hands, I'm going to promise you two things. He said, one, it's going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. But two, he goes, if you do that, I will never leave you or forsake
0: you, and it'll be absolutely worth it. And it was. That is absolutely, that's profound and powerful. You know, there's a famous book, Absolute Surrender, that that people People reference to, to this particular subject matter. There's a, a for me. There's a it's a book called Christ Indwelling and Enthroned uh, by J. Oswald Sanders. And there's one particular quote, a line where he says that self cannot dethrone self, or it would wear the victor's crown, and that absolute surrender um, at its core is the enthronement of Christ. And any time that the flesh wants to have any role and its authority or its governance, uh, Jesus will just advocate. Like he'll just say, okay, uh, let's see how you do it for a while. Um, and man, that, that's, that's, that's just a powerful. And I think a very relevant point for the audience to hear church kid, you grew up in these things, but you hadn't surrendered. And what happens in that moment for you? Like what, what, what carries forth?
1: Well, I want to I wanna explain something else too because I know that there's the chance that there's non-believers listening to this radio show because like when I was a non-believer, periodically I'd enjoy listening to Christian radio shows because it gave me more ammunition to like not be a Christian. Uh,
0: <laughs> I and, hope that's not the outlaw no, radio show, no, right? but <laughs> check this out.
1: This is why I say that is because I've even gone back and evaluated that scenario. There was nothing in me that possessed the ability to diagnose myself. Like that wasn't just a... Oh, you had this self enlightenment moment. Like I was given information that I did not have.
0: A divine revelation.
1: And and so yeah, there's no other way that I can explain that other than to, to to blame God, right? And and that was true. And so what happened was, is I immediately got scared. I knew that I couldn't kill myself anymore and find that easy out. Um, but I knew that there was going to be a long, hard road in front of me. And so the next morning, I I um I just was living with my mom at the time. And I just had this like throw down with my mom argument where I just emptied the laundry and was like, this is everything that I've been doing. This is what my addictions all this And she just, she just started weeping. And I remember, uh, two of my sisters were in the home. They were super young yet. Uh, and they looked at me and they heard their oldest brother just talk about all these crazy drugs that he was strung out on. And they looked at me and they just looked at me like they were scared, man. I'll never get that image out of my head. And, wow. You know, when when your own family is like looking at you, almost scared of you. So I contacted a friend of mine that I knew, my buddy Travis, and I just said, dude, I I need to get right with the Lord, but I don't know how. I'm strung out on all these drugs. What do I do? And he just kind of like took me into his family's home. Coincidentally, his dad had actually taken over pastoring the church that my dad had pastored. Um, I started my detox in their living room for a few days, and they told me about this program they wanted to send me to. Called U-Turn for Christ. And it was really funny because I knew about U-Turn for Christ because I was I there's a U-turn for Christ out in Southern California where I had gone to Bible college. And the people in that program serve at the Bible college. They like do the landscaping and maintenance stuff. And dude, get get this. This is how crazy our pride is. Is he says, Hey, we want to send you to U turn for Christ. And I went, I can't go to U turn for Christ. Those people are crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Those drug addicts. Those guys. Yeah, dude, those guys are
1: whacked out. And then I just heard myself and I was like, oh my gosh, like I need so much help. I need so much help. So I did, man. I went down to Greenville, Tennessee and uh, went to U-Turn for Christ, dude. And it was the craziest radical experience that I've ever had. And it went against everything that I thought that I knew about God and it needed to. And I'd really encourage somebody that has had a relationship with the Lord, that has walked away from the Lord, if you decide to come back, you need to take everything you think you know about God and throw it right out the window because it didn't get you anywhere before. So there's no reason to think that it would get you
0: anywhere now. Now, to a a degree, your storyline follows a similar pattern of of the nation of Israel. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Sum that up with the last minute that we have.
1: Yeah, man. Like The nation of Israel was classic for going and... And they, when when it was hitting the fan, go oh, Lord, save us, save us, help us, you know. When I was in trouble at school and with my parents, and I wanted to have my privileges back, you know, to go and hang out with friends or do whatever, man, like giving my life back to the Lord was always the first step. And but it wasn't really surrendering my life to the Lord. It was just a, it was a chess move so that I could get somewhere else. And that's what the nation of Israel did over and over and over. So when they wound up, that Book of Lamentations now was written. That was literally God being like, all right, I'm done with your games. I'm done. Like, there's verses, dude, in the Bible where he's just like, I'm sick of your noisy worship. I'm fed up with your sacrifices. I don't want them. Well, listen, and,
3: uh,
0: we're running against a hard break. I know this yeah. wasn't scheduled, but can you stay for, for the last block? Can you stay with us? Yeah, yeah, we're good. All right, listen, don't go anywhere. Come back. Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias' international ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're wrapping up this story. I'm so glad that Seth's going hang, to hang with us for one more block. Uh, just kind of pick it up. You, you had a thought. You were in the middle of a thought. We had to cut to a break. Uh, pick it up right there, Seth. Yeah, man. Um, there's a there's a verse in Joel, and I
1: think this would sum up everything that I've said so far. Is the Lord the Lord says, "Render your heart, not your garments." And I think that that speaks so clearly to what we need as believers. Is like, how
0: so? How so, man?
1: We think that our relationship with God is just all this outward stuff, and so what we do is we we build this facade that makes us look like Christians. And if we look like Jesus and if we act like Jesus, well then we must be filled with Jesus. And that's not true. And so we need we need it to be real in our hearts and in our minds before we can ever expect it to manifest itself in our lives. So for me, in my life, I had never I had never let it go deep, man. I never let the roots go deep. And so it was all a facade. And so when it didn't work,
0: when I was in trial, I just threw it out the window and that's where I got where I was. So if you could if you could tell if you could say something to someone going through similar things, addiction, drug addiction, the loss of a father, their world spinning. If you could just, in just a minute, give give some advice, some counsel to someone that might be listening right now, uh, maybe even sitting there contemplating taking their own life. What, what words of encouragement would you have? Um, they wouldn't sound like words of encouragement at first, especially as I picture
1: the person sitting there questioning, taking their own life. Um, but I would say give up. And I don't mean give up as in take your life. I mean, I mean give up trying to fix your life on your own. Because Absolutely. that's what I was that's what wow. I was trying to do. And and in that and and when I say give up, a better word would be just surrender. You know? Surrender that because we have no idea how great God is in the in the vastness of his goodness and what he has for us. And and we put all these Bad things on them, or we get all these connotations about who God is, based on our perspective. But we don't even give Him the time of day. And I found that the more of myself that I'm willing to allow the Lord to have, the more rest and peace and comfort and fulfillment
0: I experience in everything, even the good and the bad. That's such a so. that's such a profound word. Now, you've recently had an, an opportunity for you know for someone who has received so much grace you've had a unique opportunity this past year to demonstrate grace to someone who really didn't deserve it. Oh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) With the the few minutes that we have left, because this is one of the most unbelievable stories I've ever heard. You called me the next morning about it, and it blew my mind. Very quickly, tell the folks what happened last year. I believe it was October 28th or 29th.
1: um, We had a six-week-old baby in our possession that we had just had, our first child, Selah Ann and we're sleeping like logs, dude, because that's what you do when you got a six-week-old baby. When you can sleep, you do it, right? And uh, 11.30, man, I wake up to dogs barking and some dude yelling in my house. All the lights are off. Out of a sound sleep, I'm up. My wife and I are
0: are woken up. Now, your house is in the loft above your studio in downtown Iron River, correct? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I didn't know this, but... This guy that was in our house had gotten in a fight at a bar down the street, got in his vehicle, demo derbyed a bunch of cars in the parking lot, tried to run over a bunch of people, jacked his vehicle up on the curb, and, like, fled on foot. All right? I didn't know that. All I know is that there's some random dude in my house screaming on the top of his lungs in the pitch black. So I tell my wife to call 911, and uh, I get my pistol, bro. Like, I just lock and load, walk out of my bedroom, there's this dude standing about twenty feet away from me. I can't in the imagine. Dark. I cannot and I, imagine. And all I see is a silhouette. And so I draw on him. And uh I've you know, I've I've got the concealer carry. I live up in the UP. We get way out in the bush fishing and stuff. So like I got a firearm. I never bought it for personal protection, but this is how it wound up. But I'd been through the training. You gotta have the training in order to carry up here. So when uh I draw on him and I say, Hey man, I'm like you're trespassing. My wife's on the phone with 911. You need to turn around and leave the way you came in. And the guy that's like six foot, maybe six two, 200 pounds, you know, and for those of you that don't know me, I'm like five nothing. And uh, so I draw on this guy, I tell him, dude, you need to leave. He screams on the top of his lungs, I don't care. And just starts charging me, bro, in the dark in my home as I was out of a sound sleep. I woke have no, up. I no idea what I would do. Well I'll tell you what I did. I flipped the safety off on of my gun and I planned on shooting him. Um, I was just gonna drop this guy because I was like, This is my wife, this is my child.
0: Wife and kids, um, man. Wife and kids.
1: Dude, as a studio as a studio engineer, I was like, oh man, like I'm gonna shoot this gun in my house and my, my daughter's gonna go deaf.
0: <laughs> you know, like
1: <laughs> but,
0: her music I, career's finished. Yeah,
1: it's shot. Uh, so so I went and I was gonna shoot this guy, man, and everything just stopped. Everything just stopped. It was like somebody just pushed a pause button, man. And this guy wound up, arms reach away from me, yelling in my face, shoot me, shoot me, pointing at his head and, and walked up and practically put his head to the barrel of my gun. And, and I, dude, it, it was just divine intervention, bro. I, I said the only thing that I could think of to say was, dude, you need to be quiet. My baby's sleeping, which is like,
0: <laughs> it's so random, it's, right? That is random. So random. That is random.
1: Uh, at this point, I could smell alcohol, so I knew he was drunk. And and like you know, apparently, if you if you're being stormed by a drunk man, just tell them your baby's sleeping because he like freaked out and backed up. Um, and he that was like, was, oh, that, that was yeah, the that was one it. thing that got yeah. through to him. Yeah, like he backed up. Yeah, not I have a gun on you. Like my baby's sleeping. <laughs> you know, not I'm gonna sh- put 15 rounds in your chest. It's hey, there's a baby. You know, um, and so he. So he backed up. I had him in our kitchen. I got him into our back porch, and I still had him at gunpoint. Police officers got to our house. They opened the door. When they opened the door, the dude charged me again, and I ended up in a, in a fight with this guy in my kitchen. I grab him by the collar of his shirt as he's running at me. I've got my pistol in the other hand, safety off, locked and loaded, hoping that he doesn't wrestle me for my gun. I slam him up against my kitchen counter, and he takes off past me and runs back for the bedroom where my wife and baby are hiding.
0: No, not cool.
1: And I'm like, I, I, literally, the, the thought that came into my head was, I, ch- I should have shot him, like I should have just dropped this guy. And as he's running through the police officers chasing him, this, this police officer, I said, dude, my wife and baby are back there. And what happened was, is they chased him into the bedroom and they dropped him with a taser, dude. And that guy landed like five feet away from my little girl. And, um, and that was it. And now,
0: you, now that that's not the end of the story
1: because no, no, but I mean, in my mind, like, my life had like it just, dude, at that point you know like now we're going to talk to a different group of people like the ones that suffer from PTSD from traumatic experiences right like there's just there are so many things that can happen in your life in a split second and you've got no idea what you're going to do you've got no I've talked to people that are like oh I would have this or I would have, I'd have shot that it's like you have no if you've never been in a situation just my best advice is just stop talking yeah, you don't know. S- you just you don't know. No, you have no clue. Right. And so you're right. That wasn't the end of the story. Um, like eight months later when the guy was in court, uh, the Lord put it on my heart to go into the courtroom and intercede for him. So I stood up uh, at his sentencing and um, and I said, Your Honor, uh, I just want you to know that you know, I'm the pastor, you know, the, the, my nickname now up here is, is Rev because it was like the Reverend Seth waters, you know, spares life of home intruder, you know? <laughs> so yeah, dude, the Rev. So, uh, I go, Hey, I'm the Rev. And not really. I said, I'm the pastor, the, I'm the victim here. And I just want you to know that if you throw this guy away because of this crime, you're losing an opportunity to have another, uh, one of me in this community. And I looked over at Kyle, which is his kid's name. And I said, Kyle, you were too drunk. When this guy got to the police station, two hours later, he blew a .38. Um, he had no so, idea what was going so on. So he he didn't remember. So I basically said, I, I, know, I heard that you don't remember anything that happened. Let me tell you. And so I recapped the whole story to him. And, and I looked at the judge and I, I said, you think that I'm different from this guy because I'm a pastor and he's in an orange jumpsuit. I said, but what you don't realize is where I was before I moved up here and the kind of person I was back in the day. And I shared my whole testimony in the courtroom. And I said, so here's the deal. You see me as a pastor, as a business owner, as a father, and an active member of our community. I was like, if you throw this guy away, you're losing an opportunity to have another one of me in this community because God That's can do powerful. the same thing in that guy's life that he can do powerful. in mine.
0: Can I, can, so, I ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah, we, yeah. We're going to close, but... Do you ever uh, do you ever think about, um, man? I wish my dad knew what the Lord had done in my life.
1: Yeah, man. Um, I know that's a heavy. A, question. That's a loaded question, bro. It that's is. a loaded At the question. Very end of the show. Yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah, I absolutely do. I've got, I've got. You know, sometimes you know we don't know what's out there. You know, some people say, oh, they're watching us now. Some people don't like it when you say that, dude. I don't know. I think we're all going to be standing together in eternity praising the Lord together, and my dad will absolutely know what had took place, and so that makes me happy.
0: That absolutely should. Uh, Well, listen, I'd love to have you back. There's so much more that we could talk about and unpack. Um, maybe we could set that up here in the future, but, uh, Seth, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely, you really man. Do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, you've been listening to the outlaw radio show. If you liked what you heard, I want you to ask, I want to ask that you do two things. One, please contact your local station, wherever you're listening to this, call them and just say, thank you that they're carrying this type of programming in their community. Uh, God's working and just say, thanks. The second thing I want you to do is to visit our website, which is outlawradio.org. And here's why. There's easy access from the website to our podcast so that you can listen to this episode in its entirety, as well as all of the previous episodes of Outlaw Radio. You can also connect with us, Twitter at at, uh, Radio Outlaw, Radio underscore Outlaw, or we're also on Facebook, all that stuff. Once again, I'm Zach Adams. I hope you join me again this time next week
3: for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio Podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.